This podcast is offered by Jikoji Zen Center on the web at jikoji.org. Our programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Good morning, everyone, um, to this uh, spring uh, climate at, in, our, in our world, at least in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, I want to welcome Carla Brennan uh, to Jikoji again. Uh, Carla is the founder of um, uh, Bloom in the Present, um, a, a Sangha in the local area. Uh, she, she founded that in 2009, and her group has, has spent some time here at Jikoji, probably out in the woods. Um, her background is um, uh, broad in Buddhism and started with uh, Korean Zen and was there in the early beginnings of Insight Meditation Society with Jack Cornfield and Joseph Goldstein. And she's currently a teacher with um, a Tibetan Lama uh, in his organization, John uh, Markowski, I believe. Um, and uh, I just learned about him and I'm reading one of his books. So, um, Carla, thank you for joining us today, and uh, look forward to your talk. Great, thank you. Um, can everybody hear me okay? Does the sound good enough? The image is good enough? Okay. Um, so, good morning, and if you're in another time zone, good afternoon or evening. And, um, you know, thank you, Jikoji, for inviting me to share this talk with you. Um, it's fun kind of being able to see the Jikoji Zendo, having been there a number of times. And I was also just reflecting on the oak trees and the wildflowers and the pond, probably reflecting the beautiful blue sky up there. So um, even though I'm in the center of Santa Cruz, I'm... I uh, feel the spirit of Jikoji. And um, so I'm going to, I don't know, share a few thoughts and reflections. And then I think there'll be time for any comments or discussion, or maybe you have some wisdom to add to um, the topic. Um, the title of this talk is Beyond Hope and Hopelessness. Beyond Hope and Hopelessness. And um, what I wrote down on my notes here, I said, it's my favorite topic, giving up hope, favorite topic of mine. And I'll, of course, explain why. Um, so um, again, I, I like to think of it as a kind of conversation and um, maybe points of reflection for all of us. So uh, I don't think I need to say, but I will say that these have been and continue to be very challenging times for all of us and some more than others, depending on your situation. And of course, challenging times or challenging experiences is really why we practice how to be fully present with the full range of our human experience. And so how we respond and what our view is as we face our own life and experience is obviously very important. So hope and hopelessness. Um, my general experience is that Americans have uh, a culture sort of based in hope and optimism, positive thinking, and so forth. And it sort of, even if you don't identify yourself that way, in many ways I don't, <laughs> but I know it's influenced me. And I know I'm part of that, the seduction of that. Um, some have described it as a cult of hope, people maybe outside the culture. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so I'm going to speak to what I would call a na naive understanding of hope and how it is not really serving us. Um, you know, we tend to see life in terms of either having hope, which is generally seen as a good thing, or experiencing hopelessness, which is generally seen as a bad thing or a painful thing in any case. And as I, I give this talk, I don't know what your relationship is. I don't really know anybody here. So I'm, um, this is um, interesting for me. Um, so as I, as I talk about this, um, you know, you might, when I, when I speak about giving up hope, so to speak, um, what's your response? You know, do you say, oh yeah, I know, I know what she's talking about. Or is it a little bit of resistance and maybe fear of, of the opposite? If I give up hope, I'll end up in hopelessness. And, uh, and I would say in general, a, a culture that's interested in hope is also fearful of hopelessness. And understandably, because hopelessness is, is associated with despair and depression and powerlessness or helplessness. And we fear it'll lead to not caring and indifference and nihilism and so forth. So um, I'm proposing, which may not be may or may not be a, a new concept. I'm proposing um, what I call a radical alternative, uh, a necessary alternative in terms of practice and waking up, um, kind of in its, uh, I might call it an advanced practice or might also just say it's really speaks to the core of our practice. Um, and that is, the alternative is to really step out of those concepts of hope and hopelessness, to step out of the duality of it, the dichotomy of it, the polarity of it, and the limits that it, it um, uh, imposes on us. So step out of the need, the habit toward hope or hopelessness. And actually the possibility of living where hope and hopelessness are really obsolete ideas are irrelevant to living life in the present and fully and wakefully. And I call this my, uh, I call this the post hope view, the post hope view it could also be, you know, beyond hope is okay too. Um, so, Hope and fear are uh, uh, um, basic Buddhist teachings about really the problem, you might say, of getting caught in hope and fear. And, and um, particularly, I studied a lot in, in Zen, different traditions, but mainly Korean Zen, uh, insight meditation, and also Tibetan Buddhism. And I would say it's there in the suttas and in, in the but I, I, I find that the Tibetan Buddhists are particularly keen on talking about the limits of hope and fear and their relationship and how these can be obstacles to actual freedom and awakening. I would, I'm also a psychologist, so I, I also unpack things in that way as well. So I um, also see, could say there's healthy fear and unhealthy fear. There's healthy hope and there's unhealthy hope. So obviously I, I'm going to be challenging our um, misunderstandings or tendencies towards the unhealthy versions and offering again this alternative. I've been over the last uh, well, many years, but particularly last year, been uh, coming across a lot of people who are also challenging the very concept of hope. Um, however, if you go on the internet and you type in hope, there's millions of articles that will say how to have more hope, where to find hope, how to, you know, a lot of rah-rah about, <laughs> about hope. 
Um, so this is a little, little different, obviously. But I'm finding uh, Buddhist teachers, um, a lot of climate activists, a lot of other kind of activists, um, people who are really assessing the, our predicament. And they're coming up with the um, really challenging the whole concept of hope and, and its usefulness. Um, and really advocating the post-hope view or living in that way. So some of the quotes I've come across are, hope is for amateurs. <laughs> Another one is, hope is deeply hostile to what it means to be a human being. Hope is just another word for denial. That we're addicted to hope and that it becomes what's been called hopium. We're addicted to hopium. And um, lastly, to go back to the 50s or 60s, um, and Ogden Nash, I grew up on the poetry of Ogden Nash, I don't know about you, um, but I didn't know this poem um, and I wouldn't have understood it. This is a little Ogden Nash poem. Man is a victim of dope in the incurable form of hope. So, um, you know, again, fear and, and its obstacles in our practice and in our life is pretty easy to understand, but often hope is a little more elusive. But we can see that it's really two sides of the same coin. And this is from uh, Pema Chodron, who's very fond of talking about this. And she, from what I'm calling the post-hope view, she, she just goes for it and calls it hopelessness, the being with, you know, the actual radical L, uh, act of relieving yourself of the need for hope. And this is from her. Turning your mind towards the Dharma does not bring security or confirmation. Turning your mind toward the Dharma does not bring any ground to stand on. In fact, when your mind turns toward the Dharma, you fearlessly acknowledge impermanence and change and begin to get the knack of hopelessness. So hopeless, hope is a, um, can be a unhealthy hope or limiting hope, whatever you wanna call it, is an issue because um, it causes us to lean out of reality, to lean out of the present, to move into a future view. And we can be actually lulled by our fantasies or wishes around hope and away from what is actually real and true and raw and alive. What is here now? And fear does the same thing. So fear is really living in a made up future that looks scary. And hope is living in a made up future that feels good or what we want, but both are made up futures. Um, so I, I wanna say a little bit about, I'm not asking us to banish the word hope and the experience of hope from our life. Um, I'm asking you to look deeper and really investigate your relationship and your understanding to it and how it might influence your capacity to be truly here, to have the courage to be truly here. Um, there's there's uh, phrases like, I, I use hope all the time in phrases like, um, I hope you're feeling better. I hope this situation works out for you. And in that case, I think a hope is just a well-wishing, a caring response. So again, I'm not, I'm not um, saying the word hope is bad, but to be very discerning about it. But what is really the issue is our reliance and dependence on a vision of a positive future to proceed in life. The need for a sense of a good outcome for our actions and how we live. 
in order to be okay, to find meaning, to purpose, to act, to feel safe. I need to have this vision of hope. That's how it's used really in the general culture. But I think advanced practitioners need to question that and, and need to uh, embrace the radical stance of living without that. Uh, in the, the dictionary definition is a feeling of expectation and desire for particularly uh, for a particular thing to happen. And another one is grounds for believing that something good may happen. Again, you see this leaning into a future vision in a way from the living present. And this leaning into a future vision of hope, I think you can begin to see is actually based in fear. And this is where fear and hope come together or this kind of fear and hope because there's an unwillingness to be truly here with all the unknown and unpredictable possibilities to fully be here with what is and the you might say the truth of our precarious existence and of course what does our practice tell us our practice tells us that it's all unknown and it's all in flux and that we have very little control over the future. The last three years, um, for me, a lot has happened and I'll, I'll just briefly allude to it, but um, it's given me the opportunity and I say this with hesitation because it for the most part, it hasn't felt like a good opportunity, but it's given me the opportunity to see where I have been clinging unconsciously because I've you know, worked with this kind of thing for decades, um, that I'm clinging to expectations and reassurance of safety, that life in the future will be okay. Where I want reassurance that it'll be all right. And this has been you know, consistently it's taken away. Um, so I'll just say um, three years ago, I had significant cancer. The following year, my partner had significant cancer. And then last year we lost our home and belongings in the fire, CZU fires. And um, I don't, Mm, wish this on anyone. And I have to say, it helped reveal my subtle levels of assumptions and expectations about life and safety. Um, so we want, I think it's, we all want a future that looks good, though, but we don't know. There's no safety, things may not be all right things may be quite difficult. And I would venture to say that's the direction actually overall the planet is going, but we just don't know. And this is the, the characteristic of post-hope mind, which is don't know mind, really living that. Again, in the seventies, I lived in the Cambridge Zen Center. I studied with Zen master Sung Song, the Korean Zen master, um, we called him Sansanim, and um, he popularized the whole notion of, I mean, it existed obviously outside of him, before him, but uh, in our culture of don't know and don't know mind. And that was his primary teaching, and he was quite sometimes severe and relentless about it about living with don't know mind with the presence and openness that it is, is the nature of it. So um, this idea that we're actually, well, I call it living on the precipice of the unknown um, and learning to be comfortable with that because that's actually where we are in every moment. It's also a, um, 
a way of, I would say, talking about post-hope mind or post-hope view of what I would call confronting nakedly the five remembrances, which you may be familiar with. Briefly, uh, brief, briefly the, um, the nature of, that we have the nature to be ill, we have the nature to age, we have the nature to die, and we have the nature to lose everything. And also that we are, what we have is our own, what is happening now, how we respond to it now, how we live with it now, and the choices that we make now. This unknown or this don't know mind is also means, and this could be a whole talk in itself, but it also means that we're living with the, what I would call the infinite unformed creative potentiality, that things aren't set. And this infinite unformed creative potentiality, we don't have a lot of control over, but we can surrender to it and we can align with it and we can live authentically with that. So I would say these times, this has always been true for millennia in our lifetimes, but now more than ever, that we're being called to live with a deeper wisdom, respond to the world with a deeper wisdom and a bigger view. So I wanna say a little bit now what I'm calling post-hope action. Um, because the most common thing I hear is that people panic with the idea of not having hope in that it means that they won't act, no one will act, no one will do every, anything that will collapse into, I don't know what, uh, a pile of misery and despair. I suppose that's possible for some, but, but I would say that hope actually is what often lulls us into distraction, um, band-aid solutions, inadequate actions, and that we often are holding out or holding back for something better, that it's going to be okay and safe so maybe I don't have to act. Joanna Macy says, when hope is gone, action begins. When hope is gone, action begins. So you might think about what that means. And I would say we act because it is who we are because it is what life is about, not because we get what we want or because of the outcome or control over the outcome. My favorite little saying is, <laughs> we do good because doing good is the good thing to do. We do good because doing good is the good thing to do. Zen, my Zen master, Sansanim, he would say things um, like, uh, sometimes I like to do imitations of him, but I'm not very good at it. <laughs> but he would say, only go straight, don't know. Only go straight, don't know. And um, he would go on to say, it's simple. If someone is hungry, you feed them. If someone need shelter, you give it to them. And I would add to this, if the planet is ailing, you work to heal it. And if there is hatred, you bring love. You don't need hope to do any of that. You don't need hope, it's not about hope. It's about authentic action and response. And um, what, um, 
in um, in Tibetan Buddhism, they talk about particularly un unlimited responsiveness of the nature of mind. So um, this is this is from Pema Chodron again. Actually, if you're you're probably familiar with Pema Chodron. Um, and people love her. And sometimes I think they miss how ruthless and relentless she actually is. <laughs> um, I remember a friend, we were reading it in her, one of her books and my friend finally got, got it. And she said, I can't read this anymore. I really get what she's saying now <laughs> and I can't take it. Um, she did come back to it, but um, so from Pema Chojin, we're talking about facing facts, no escapism. Giving up hope is encouragement to stick with yourself, not to run away, to return to the bare bones, no matter what is going on. If we totally experience hopelessness, again, which is her word that I say post-hope, giving up all hope of alternatives to the present moment, we can have a joyful relationship with our lives, an honest, direct relationship that no longer ignores the reality of impermanence and death. Death and hopelessness provide proper motivation for living an insightful and compassionate life, not hope. So I wanted to... Um, add that uh, I see in circles a lot too, particularly various Buddhist circles, that terms like active hope, wise hope, deep hope are coming up. I even about a year and a half ago gave a talk called Deep Hope. I've since changed it to this post-hope. Um, and I, I think all those terms point to the same possibility that I'm talking about this, what I might call mm, aware hope, um, post hope, not clinging to outcome, uh, really being fully awake in the present. I actually though, I'm, I, I, I think those terms, um, well, I just say, I believe it's best actually to give up on the word hope altogether <laughs> in terms of what I'm talking about, because I find, and I found this working with students and different people, once they're given these other terms like deep hope, they actually just revert. They use that to revert their, to their own comfy, comfy addiction to hope. They just have another name for it. I'm requesting that you not revert to your comfy addiction to hope and use the power of your practice to resist the pull of fantasy futures. And to rather, this comes from Pema Chodron too, rather develop the outrageous courage of the Bodhi heart. This takes outrageous courage. And sometimes so many things are taken away that that's all you got left. Um, so so to end this part of this time together, um, my talking time, and then we'll have time for responses or comments or more meditation or something. Um, I'm going to share a poem. I call this now my anthem <laughs> by Jennifer Wellwood. And some of you may be familiar with this poem. And the title of the poem is The Dakini Speaks. My friends, Let's grow up. Let's stop pretending we don't know the deal here. Or if we truly haven't noticed, let's wake up and notice 
look, everything that can be lost will be lost. It's simple. How could we have missed it for so long? Please grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. I'm going to read this line again. Please grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. But please, let's not be so shocked by them. Let's not act so betrayed. As though life had broken her secret promise to us. Impermanence is life's only promise to us. And she keeps it with ruthless impeccability. To a child, she seems cruel, but she is only wild. And her compassion exquisitely precise. Brilliantly penetrating, luminous with truth. She strips away the unreal to show us the real. This is the true ride. Let's give ourselves to it. Let's stop making deals for a safe passage. There isn't one anyway, and the cost is too high. We are not children anymore. The true human adult gives everything for what cannot be lost. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. Let's dance the wild dance of no hope. Okay, so let's just take a moment to sit with that. Just a moment to sit with whatever has come up from my talk, that poem. Okay, so there's a little time here for um, any comments or questions or sharing of your own experience around what I'm speaking to. And um, I'd love to hear from, from people. Somebody want, anybody want to share anything? Wait. Okay, Kathy looks like she does. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you very much. Um, wow. I was thinking when um, Doug was introducing you that you didn't have anything I could relate to because you came from a different lineage. <laughs> and, and it turns out that you speak the truth uh, the, the way all the Buddhist lineages speak the truth. And um, it, it, just, it just felt very, um, present, I, I guess is, is the word, it felt very present to, to listen to the idea of things as it is, you know, things just, I mean, post-hope, I guess it's just things, the reality of today. And um, I really appreciate your talk very much. I do have one question because I've heard about the five remembrances I've read about the five remembrances and I can never remember the fifth remembrance. I think it has something to do with action, but I'm not sure. Could you please remind us? Yeah. Yeah, it's um, translated in different ways. And, and Thich Nhat Hanh has a, you know, has a good version of the five remembrances, but it's, it's basically um, all we have is our karma. <laughs> Okay. And, and how we, how we act and the choices we make. Great. 
yeah. Thank you very much. That's very yeah. helpful. That makes more sense to me than action as yeah. a remembrance. Just the fact that all we have is the consequences of what we do. And so therefore we need to be mindful of what yeah. we do and right. how we respond. That's sort of like um, the doing good because doing good is a good thing to do. It's part of the same idea. Thank you so much. Yeah. And of course there's more elaborations on that, but um, that's my, my way of talking about the succinct. Thank yeah. very much. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah. Any any other people willing to share something, your own experience with beyond hope and hopelessness? Or um, again, love to hear from folks. Oh. Yeah, Kathy. I have one more question. Um, who is the author of the Bikini Sweets poem? Um, Jennifer, Jennifer Wellwood. And um, She's a teacher, Tibetan style teacher in Marin, and her husband was John Wellwood, who some of you may know, who wrote a lot of um, books on integrating kind of Buddhism and psychological understanding. Um, she self, her book of poetry is self-published and so you sort of have to buy it from her, uh, but you can find this online, you know, if you, if you, if you Google the Dakini Speaks, you'll, you'll come up with it. And um, another one that's used a lot of hers is called Unconditional. That's a nice poem. And um, she does have a title to her book of poetry. I can, anyway, I can't remember. Yeah. She's a rather, also an, uh, a, a, what I would call a demanding and kind of teacher in in you know the zen master style <laughs> even though she's in tibetan so yeah a anybody else have something yeah susan well first of all Thank you for your outrageous courage. Sounds like, uh, you know, certainly a life changing last three years. And uh, my kids were in the CCU fire. So I'm, I'm aware of some of what went on. And I will just say I'm still observing um, through my daughter and her family and their friends, people I know there, um, the resilience and the variety of ways that people have, what you said, something about matching or um, coming, coming to the truth, aligning, aligning with it. How does one align with that much trauma and stress, especially recently after cancer um i'll just say i'm still working on that so. yeah yeah <laughs> so what i've seen some people stayed maybe saved their homes but stayed put that got kind of courage and other people split and some have not returned but some went on amazing adventures and came back very full and ready to address the situation. And so I'm still watching my own family, of course, deal with that. And, and, um, and that challenge of staying present and staying present to all that stuff from the past that may or may not still be in their lives. Stuff, you know, literal objects and gardens and ancient trees, you know, how does that all get put together? So I'm, I'm very curious about that sense of letting go of hope and aligning, aligning with, with the truth. Because I grew up with post-Holocaust parents who did not want to address anything except hope. 
we weren't allowed to discuss anything except hope. That was the view that one had to take. So it's it's um, still very emotional for me to, you know, go to what might be called hopelessness and the enormous trauma that might be there. I like that sense of alignment. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I want to say this isn't for everybody and everybody isn't in the place to take these kind of steps. So I'm really acknowledging that and partly because you're all Zen students, I felt I could push the envelope a little bit. <laughs> um, but it's, um, I, well, the other comment I would just make is, um, which I'm truly appreciating about life and trauma and what we all go through is, and it's from the, that line from Jennifer's poem, um, that it's, let's grieve our losses fully like ripe human beings. And we're not a culture that's very good at, at um, allowing the experience to be truly mourned. Mm -hmm. I'm not very good at it. And that's why I said I'm still working at it. Um, and, um, but I'm very aware that that's part of being able to be fully present and fully connected and fully allowing and to let the healing begin. But it's hard and it's um, wrenching. Yeah. And I also have been watching, you know, I'm on a Facebook group with other survivors of the fire and you really see all the different responses and the pain and the different ways people, choices people are making. And, you know, I, I just can understand each one, you know, maybe not the one I take, but, um, you know, some of my neighbors have already left the state, you know, and others are rebuilding. And it's, um, you know, again, this is, the wildness of being alive and um, being human. And um, being willing to fully open and sit and be with it. So thank you for that. Yeah. And is that, uh, I see those, those are requests to say something. I see Michael and I see yeah. Randy and maybe somebody else, but let's start with Michael and then Randy. Yeah, uh, thank you for your talk, thought provoking. Um, I guess I'm a little confused um, about hope or not hope or what exactly you mean. Um, I mean, you know, mostly I go to Bed, you get up in the morning, figure today will be okay. You know, um, there is that that basic faith, not faith in a, in, in, a, in a deity, but a faith that you know, yeah, like, like tomorrow's gonna be fine. Why wouldn't it be? All the other days, and if it isn't, it isn't. But hopelessness. I mean, I at one point in my life got hopelessness where I didn't think the next day was gonna film, and that's not a very good place to be. I, I, you know, it's just not. And, uh, yeah. So I have a I have a basic faith that things will work out if you're just patient enough to wait for them. You know, it's like the old parable of the guy. What was it with the the, the son who worked on the farm broke his leg? How are they going to work on the? How are they going to keep the farm? Blah blah blah. Well, it turned out there's a big war and he has to work on the farm. He gets to stay on the farm. You know, it's like I always have that feeling. But hopelessness. I'm not sure I, I totally agree with that. I mean, I know, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. We are not going to save 90% of the species. That's just a given fact. And, uh, but, but I guess you try anyway. You know, you go down swinging. What's the, you know, you got an alternative. You can do nothing. 
you know, kind of watch it burn. You can try to put the fire out, even though you know it probably won't work. But you don't know because you have don't know mind because you honestly don't know what the outcome is. So I'm not sure I like the term hopeless. Yeah. Well, that's why I offer post-hope because I, I really am an invitation to step out of going back and forth between hope and hopelessness. That it's actually stepping out of that duality and dichotomy altogether. And I really think the Buddhist practice invites us to do that and invites us to have a view of the future that is open, completely open, because it's not going to be okay someday. Well, yeah. Yeah. Someday you'll die and then you'll wake up and you won't, you won't wake up to say you're going to yeah. die. And I, I think there's a freedom and power. I, I was talking with a friend about this, a long time meditator and we were it was a little bit new concept for her too this is a few months ago and she said i actually feel great relief when you say i have permission to give up hope i feel great relief like i can just live i can just you know there's this this i'm only okay if it's going to be that's what i'm i'm addressing to see our addiction to being okay is dependent on a view that is okay. The future is okay. It's not. So it's not that that's bad, but it's still not fully embodying the truth of reality in our predicament as human beings. And um, so, it's an invitation. You don't have to take it. <laughs> it's an invitation to explore that. And, and I agree the traditional sense of hopelessness. I, you know, I experienced depression and despair. You know, I don't consider that an enlightened state at all. <laughs> you know, I, I can see it, you know, from my own issues. Um, so I'm, uh, that's why I'm saying there's, um, there's, and, and, and again, with Sansanim, when he was teaching that relentlessly, don't know mind, it's like, stop creating future, stop creating fantasies that you, you think are real. You can create fantasies, but they're not real and you can know they're not real. But to really, really embrace the unknowingness, the not knowingness, the expansive Non, I don't know how to describe, you know, you probably know the experience, but the expansiveness of just fully being here and fully responding and not having to have anything else because actually there isn't anything else. So, <laughs> so I don't know. We only have a few minutes left. And is that, is that, you know, Michael, thank you for bringing that up. And I don't know, it, you know, it's fun to respond to it. I don't know if it's helpful. Uh, thank you. And Randy, you wanted to add something? Yeah. Um, let me see. Let me see. Yeah. Okay. I'm unmuted. So um, it, um, thing of hope, the one thing I think about practice and, and I'm thinking about the past, future, and present of uh, the, thinking about the hope of Buddhism taking root in this culture, but really not knowing where it's gonna go. And I, and I say that because I think of the Buddha and how he became a, his life and the practice he had and how it's, this Buddhism has gone in so many ways. And, um, and I was thinking about the Rinzai tradition in Japan and training samurai warriors to not fear death and to be incredible warriors and and to kill you know i said and then, then i was thinking well did the buddha have any hope for his practice for where it would go and now it's come to this country it's, you know and it keeps moving around but it has no and i'm trying trying to make sense of this of you know japan rinzai warriors samurais and and the buddha and then coming over here 
then you see some stuff here in this culture of different practices incorporating psychedelics into their in, into their practice and and uh, I guess it's kind of just giving it up hope of what Buddhism in my own mind you know can be to make a, 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 a I don't know a peaceful world or a better world that you know, we strive towards that, but maybe the expectations are, uh, I don't know quite what I'm saying, a little far-fetched, but it's just sort of like, um, yeah, I mean, when I, when I think of it that way, this this hope of Buddhism being a certain thing for our culture, I don't know. I'm not going to be around. And, you know, what's it going to be like in 50, 100 years from now of uh, Buddhist practice here? I have no idea, but uh, it will change yeah so i don't know what i'm trying to say but that's just the <laughs> I, I i enjoyed your lecture <laughs> well thank you yeah i i, I want to say i've had some of those thoughts as, as well as, like where is it going what you know especially i've been practicing for 46 years and i've seen so much change um yeah you know, and some of it i like and some of it i'm like oh, i don't know about that and <laughs> so yeah and, and I, I want to say again, I'll just we'll come to close, but, um, you know, it's fine to say, you know, I hope it works out. You know, I hope the best elements of Buddhism come to fruition. But it's, again, not, not how, you know, it's acknowledging you don't know and you don't have control and you just, you know, you can hold that aspiration and that hope, but you have to also give up that it will come to pass because you don't know. So, yeah, and that's true of many things, you know, not just Buddhism, but yeah. Okay. It, it, um, is that, Jen, do you have a, something you want to say or are you just acknowledging it? <laughs> um, I, I do actually have something to say if, it, if it, you don't mind going um, a little bit longer. Yeah, it's um, not a problem for me, but I, I also okay. I keep reasonable time limits. Yeah, yeah, um, thank you. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for your talk today and um, your vulnerability. Um, I also have a cancer diagnosis in my past, um, you know, a little bit over five years ago. And I can really relate to the idea of post-hope and, um, you know, just the loss and the grief and the shattering of the life that, that you thought was going to happen. And I've even noticed that, um, you know, uh, I set up sort of this expectation, like, well, if I can just get through this next five years, you know, that, that when I pass that expiration date, that, well, everything's going to be better. And then um, I recently passed that date at the beginning of this year and thinking that, oh, I'm safe now you know, hey, you know, my health is good and, and now I'm safe. And then I had a, a couple of very um, unsafe experiences happen to me where I really went like, wow, like, okay. And I realized how I've been hoping. Well, I'm hoping that it's going to get better. And I, I'm hoping if I'm just a little bit more patient or if I'm just a little quieter or if I, if I just don't be me, you know, that, that somehow that's going to make it better, you know? Um, and, uh, it's hard living that way. It's not a good way to live. And, um, you know, and I, I get how like having hope is a good thing, but then hope is also sort of, um, perpetuating a, a way of living. That's just not realistic. So, um, I guess the post hope part is okay. This is what we have what can I do now to affect this? Or, you know, do I just leave this because my hope hasn't been good enough? You know, um, like all of these kind of questions come up and, you know, then also too projecting like, well, if I was, you know, with my family, well, I'm, I'm going to be happy then, you know, and, and this last COVID year has been a really good opportunity to to really get into deep practice. And, you know, I haven't been bit distracted by having four jobs and, you know, running back and forth. I've had to sit in it. And, um, you know, I'm really grateful for all the quiet 
time that I've been able to. I, I had a friend that died last week of a, a brain tumor who was younger than me. And it always sets off the grief, like, wow, you know, that's another one. And, you know, I'm still here. And, um, yeah. you know, I'm still here. And I'm going to make the best of it. So uh, thank you very much for opening that up for me again. I, I really appreciate it. And um, I appreciate that you can sit with that because that truth, that's real, you know, and I really appreciate that. So thank you. Thank you. And, and thank you for sharing that. And I want to say it's a wonderful description of how we grapple and how we with hope and, and not hope. And, and um, so thank you. You showed a lot of insight around how that comes up. And, you know, I'm two and a half years into my five years. <laughs> and, you know, I, which is one of the cancer things, right? <laughs> <laughs> and so anyway, I'm just saying, I also see, you know, the reality is it's better to survive five years <laughs> and the reality is you still don't know. And, and just constantly holding all of that is, is um, the challenge of our practice and our, our ability, you know, to, to stay with this crazy process of being human. So thank you. Thank you for that. And I'm sorry about your friend. Okay. Um, that's, is there anything else that really, that wants to be said? Otherwise, I can do a little dedication. In my tradition, I don't know what you guys do, but <laughs> in my tradition, I do a little dedication as a closure. I'm going to ring a bell up. And I also want to ask if Jikoji has anything you need to say at the end of a Sunday program or has, if there's announcements or anything that needs to be shared. Otherwise, I'll just do a dedication and, and say goodbye. No? Okay. Uh, Carl, thank you. Uh, uh, yes, here at Jacoji, I uh, just would like to uh, thank you again for this talk. Um, and also just in the uh, near future, we have um, this afternoon, uh, an open mic science and Buddhism. Uh, next Saturday, we have a Zazen Kai day of sitting. And then on uh, Monday, April 5th to the Sunday, April 11th, uh, Tajaway Sashin. So encourage people to join us for any, all of that. So would you please do your dedication? Carla, we have our own, but we'd like to hear yours. Oh, okay. <laughs> I have a bell here, I'll get it. And again, I wanna thank everybody um, for coming and for inviting me for listening and for so thoughtfully adding your responses and um i appreciate that so just take a moment to connect again and attune with yourself to this being here now this body and breath the sounds in silence, the feelings, the thought stream. So we can uh, dedicate our time together, our practice together, our sharing Dharma together, our own deep inner process we can dedicate that and offer the benefits of that to ourselves, to each person here, and outwardly to all beings everywhere. So that all beings discover their deep capacity for awareness and compassion. So that all beings discover the pathway to untangle suffering so that all beings 
learn how to be free. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by Jokoji Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered free of charge, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information about Jokoji, please visit us on the web at jokoji.org.